welcome to Preflections, a series of conversations brought to you by Pantopicon in which we reflect upon present-day society and peer through its cracks in anticipation of possible worlds to come. Before we start this podcast, we have a small request. If you appreciate our conversations and do not want to miss new episodes, we would love it if you would subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other place you get your podcast from. And leave us your scores or reviews. It means a lot to us and we'd love to hear from you. Of course, you can also get in touch more directly via Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram. This week I had a chat with Paolo Ciuccarelli, architect and communication designer, founder of the Politecnico of Milan's Density Design Research Lab, and now professor and director of the Center of Design at Northeastern University in Boston. Paolo and I talked about data as a kind of malleable matter for designers at the crossroads of a wide variety of disciplines. We looked at the promise of what lies beyond the visual, at what might happen when indeed all of society will gain the literacy and creative confidence to shape new products, services, new systems and experiences through data. Throughout the conversation, you'll notice Paolo's deep respect for complexity, there not being any shortcuts, as well as his optimism in the face of the challenges it poses, including some of the darkest silhouettes on the horizons of our data-imbued world. Paolo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. Paolo, you're a, a communication designer, a, a data information knowledge visualizer. How would you call yourself and, and, and how... And what led you to that corner of the universe? Ah, it's a long journey. <laughs> Definitely not a linear one, I would say. Uh, I, I would define myself an information designer, um, a designer, certainly, and uh, that moved into different areas of design and actually starting from uh, architecture. So that's uh, my background. So I, and, oh, because there was no option for design when I studied uh, at Politecnico di Milano. So I probably would have uh, choose that direction if it was an option, but it wasn't. Uh, so I studied architecture and then I, in, during that my studies, I took whatever was available in terms of design. And uh, that led me to get uh, to do some interior design, some graphic design, some communication design. I had the chance to uh, I remember the the the, the meeting uh, with Armando Testa, you know, one of the most and it, communication and advertising was, and graphic design has been always my passion. I wanting to be at a certain point a, a designer, like a, a visual designer in in the advertising industry. But then, you know, I had this was part of my passion, and the other passion was uh, coding. So I started when I was uh, started to code uh, with the technology available at that time when I was in the uh, middle school. And then with that, uh, you know, on a certain point, I found a way, I would say, to combine these two passions. And so I, I became an architect eventually, but I just, you know, maybe for a couple of years, I did something that resembled to what an architect is supposed to be, to do. But then as soon as possible, I moved into design, First was product design because that what was available at at, at Politecnico di Milano. I participated in a way to the construction of the design school, and then as soon as communication design became available, I you know I wanted to jump on that area because it was really like um, uh, the dream that became true and the possibility to combine technology and communication and visual and graphic design. So, you know, during the study of architecture, I, I discovered this idea of complexity and it was like um, enlightening for me. I mean, it was, I didn't uh, know anything about this idea of complexity as an approach to understanding the world. And, and then afterward, uh, when I started to work in communication design, I came across some, the first visualizations of, of the, the internet, you know, this beautiful, amazing maps of, of the internet. So at that time was kind of possible mapping the internet <laughs> was on a size that was on a scale that was manageable, I would say. And so uh, when I saw that, I say, oh, wow, that's 
that maybe we can use this visual languages, these visualizations to make people aware of this fantastic idea of complexity. And that's where everything started. So it was, a, again, a combination of this passion for and this, uh, what was becoming my uh, career in the university related to communication design and this idea of complexity that I learned through uh, one kind of crazy professor I had in in, uh, in in Politecnico de Milano that and you know was a technology of architecture professor but instead he introduced us to the epistemology of complexity something that was totally oh. uh, yeah it was a kind of he he asked us to read books like you know Edgar Morin and uh, and uh, Bateson you know something that I mean I, I remember we were all saying you know what does it has to do what's what's the relationship with that and architecture so it was you know but that after and then I, I yeah so I matched all these things and I remember on a certain point I mean one of the um, motivations also came to jump finally into you know I will jump into information design soon because you know so everything started with this idea of uh, putting um, the visualization languages at the service of complexity, so making people understanding more, being more aware of complexity. The sense making part of it. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, you know, it's mapping and visualizing complexity is not an easy task. And so on a certain point, I, I read a book that uh, was uh, it's written by, um, it was, uh, it's an author, um, it's called uh, Laszlo Barabasi, and actually now it's a colleague of mine here in Northeastern. It was called Linked, but it actually yeah. was a you know network theory uh, explained in a very uh, easy way. And so I read this book, and I thinking to this idea of the visual languages, and so I, I decided on a certain point to jump into this, um, this this making um, complexity accessible, understandable, and 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 manageable by people that has to make um, decisions. And that's where I discovered data. So data was not part of my training and was not part of um, my passion for communication design, advertising, and, and but it was in a way part of my other passion about technology, computers, and coding. I, I, I remember was trying to code in assembly, was kind of an hexadecimal decimal language at, at, with these computers that were becoming available then in, in the 90s. And so now with this idea of creating diagrams for making complexity visually uh, available, and so I discovered together with the people that were starting to work with me at that point um, as PhD students mainly, this possibility to use data in a way to feed these diagrams and to make them more uh, meaningful, more compelling, more current, more, you know, alive. it's like, you know, if you build a skeleton, then you can put some flesh and blood in it with this data feeding it. Not bring it to life. Current. Yeah. yeah, bring to life with current information. And so because uh, it's like system theory, so you create this nodes, links, like conceptual things, and then you make it, yeah, alive, basically, through through data. So data was, I think that that's part of the, the positioning that we were able to build as designers in the world of data. So it comes from the fact that we didn't start with data. So we are not, uh, I would say, biased, we could, we can say that by data themselves. So we are kind of, you know, it's like just another material as designers. That's what we do, where we make sense of materials in, in, in a shape that it's relevant and appropriate for certain conditions and data is just another material it's very malleable it's fantastic it's a very, it has a number of properties that make it a very interesting material but it's just that so it's not uh so that's i think it was very important so having another mission another goal and to put the data at the service of that goal that is essentially much more uh, humane that technological as a goal. So we are not searching for efficiency. We're not searching for optimization. We are not searching for, we're just searching for, you know, making those data useful and meaningful for someone as, you know, as you do it as a designer all the time with 
other materials, other technologies, but it's pretty much the same. So yeah, that's how I came through. It took a long journey, long time. So from the study of uh, studies in architecture in the 90s to you know, the first approach with design at the beginning of 2000. And then in 2010, I created this. I founded this research lab in Politecnico di Milan. It's called uh, Density Design. It's still up and running and doing very well. And it was essentially, um, yeah, the mission is the one that I mentioned so to do um, uh, to, to make complexity as available and usable. And then, no, it's been uh, 15 years, so no, no, more like 20 years of uh, essentially focusing more and more into transforming data in a meaningful way for all the possible stakeholders that you can imagine. <laughs> and now I'm, yeah, then last year I moved uh, to Northeastern University. And I see that as a kind of a, a interesting circle because, um, yeah, as I, as I said before, on for some reasons I have colleagues here that were fundamentally inspiring my my journey. So I'm I had the possibility to discuss with people that essentially, you know, remotely in a way with their books, with their writings, uh, uh, it inspired my trajectory. And uh, on the other side is a way to uh to go back a little bit to my roots because yeah i i focused for 15 years on visual languages and, and data visualization and but now i think it's clear that is it's not enough or better it, it's an essential component but the the scope is becoming much bigger and uh, the stakes are bigger so i think it's a good moment to uh like take a step back but meaning higher so to think about that as a designer not necessarily as an information designer or a communication designer only but as a designer in a or and so i'm i moved here also because i had this opportunity to fund another uh, organization so uh, and this time is is broader in scope so it's the center for design so it's design in general and so uh, so this hopefully will uh, lead me to um, uh, enlarge a little bit the scope of my um, my activity around data with um, yeah, this perspective that embraces um, you know design in, in in the larger possible way. So meaning using also other languages or working on product systems environments and not just you know bi-dimensional screen-based interfaces. So having an understanding of interfaces is something much bigger than that. Well, that's what I want to do. I mean, just uh, thinking to that on a kind of a different level. And actually I think that the sense of space and context and, and that you get when you study architecture is really, really yeah, something absolutely. important. And um, yes, I think, um, there was something very, very important in the education and architecture in, in Politecnico di Milano, but I think in general is, is part of the discipline, this idea of the space of the context and then the, how you shape the behavior of people. And also something that sometimes you miss with data visualization because you, you visualize something and then at the best you can make someone aware, you can inform someone if you are good enough. Uh, but then the path towards action, it's, it's, it's still long. So you don't feel that you're changing shaping in a way, you know, shaping it, trying to orient, let's say, the, the behavior of people. And that's something that, you know, when, when you design a building and you, it's constructed, it's built, it's there, you know, you really physically, you, you change the way people live that space. And sometimes it's difficult to measure, to see. Uh, so this kind of lack of agency or the perception of agency that I, was feeling in data visualization could now maybe be more uh, addressed. You mentioned that about the, 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 the influence, the very broad influence that architecture had. I think architecture, even as a, as a field uh, or as a, as a bunch of fields, I would say, um, is a crossroads for other disciplines almost per definition. As you mentioned, in, in the space, it's where it comes together. It's where the human and the built um, 
and, and, and even various time dimensions um, come together. Is, is that kind of like a, a direction, this, this re-emphasizing everything that's beyond the two dimensions that data visualization actually grew out of? Is that something um, that, that could be liberating for the field where you say, okay, well, lots of people are looking towards especially on the visual end of things, uh, the whole extended reality technology, such VR, AR, et cetera, to break free from, from that mold, um, to reintroduce the tangible also in the visual again. Uh, is that something where you see it, it heading or do you say there's a lot of potential for the field? Or, or no, Absolutely. I think that's, uh, that's the direction. I, I have to say that I... I've been too optimistic in the pace of this kind of evolutions. So I definitely see this as a direction, but it could take some time. <laughs> uh, I was hoping for a much faster um, evolution of the data visualization field in itself, but it didn't happen. You know, we are still facing issues and problems that we, we were discussing 15 years ago. And uh, so it's, it's kind of slow uh, because the, barriers in time, especially when you go, uh, it comes to organi business organizations and you have a lot of uh, barriers to a, a, a quick, uh, fast e evolution. You need sometimes disruptions like this pandemic that produced, uh, in my opinion, beside all the problems, some very good accelerations in some areas. But in, behind beside this you know disruptions it's it's kind of slow so we are still transforming i think in the kind of a transformatory phase of of data visualization as we knew it but then after that uh when this will be mature enough i think or or maybe even before if something happened uh, again and we have to uh certainly to 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 think to data transformations much beyond you know the, the 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 screen because that's you know if you think to all, all the data and statistics about uh machine to machine communication for example or the evolution of certain technologies that um in a way transform physically things the the, the environment based on on data so and so objects are interconnected environments become so sensible in a way and they react and so visualization as a kind of an intermediate uh, temporary status Absolutely. of data so you have to look at that and then to do something but probably this stage way begun in in some cases and so if we just stick on on visualizing that and so probably we'll not have you know <laughs> our positioning it's like we, we miss something so it's Basically, I think that in most of the cases, there would be another way to yeah. to mediate data in the experience. Well, I think it might even be a, a necessity at some point. Oh, sure, I yeah. Mean, as you said, we're so infatuated with the visual that there's there has to be a moment uh, in which we reach its limits and where we say, okay, there's not enough sensory or cognitive bandwidth only in the in the visual uh, if we want to move forward as uh, as people. So. Um, plus, there's so many experiences that we we don't fully develop uh, any longer because of this focus. Now, if you think about musicians and dancers and how they understand and make sense of the world through movement and sound, there's tremendous sense-making value um, in that as well as in smell and the olfactory. But do, do you feel like the whole visualization as a term even for the field is limiting Um in terms of its perception or its uh, its potential? Mm, not really. I think it's just uh, putting the uh, term in context. So in certain areas, I mean, it's 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 fundamental. You know, if 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 your work is you know to to analyze data, to uh, to get insights from data, and then to transfer this insight uh, into to someone else, that that's that that's visualization. It's what you need, and it's it's there. You have plenty of you know, very powerful tools. Um, it's 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 a very precise and specific area that is working pretty well. I mean, data visualization exists um, uh, in in the field of uh, visual analytics. I mean, so in analysis exists since long time. Mm -hmm. So then, I think what happened in a certain point that we put all the relationship with data into that bucket that was existing. 
on a certain point, we discovered that it was not really the right bucket, but it's still very important, it's still relevant, it's still the, the original, let's say, place where all the theory around data visualization has been developed. So at a certain point, we tried to squeeze all the things related to data into that bucket, but now it's now there are all the other buckets that are appearing and are making the whole arena of data experiences. And of course, it will be much bigger. We will have different terms. We will have different, um, uh, yeah, like a map. You have different territories, different regions in this territory. But data visualization probably will stay for a long time, like the capital of that territory, and then with all these other provinces around. But definitely, it's not enough. So it doesn't. Um, and so we are still in this kind of uh, intermediate uh, status where you see, I don't know, uh, designers, artists, uh, practitioners that start to populate also the computer science-based conferences or vice versa. So you have the art scene that is contaminated by, then probably they will develop into specific branches and in a way it's happening and uh, you will have other senses necessarily involved as we say it and and so are, are there are there any any developments in in those other senses that you're particularly looking forward to explore further or particularly interested in yeah i was just mentioning the the fact that i i started to play with uh with data sonification thanks to um uh, a phd of mine that i'm still supervising uh at, at polytechnico and she she has a training also in conservatories and music. And uh, after working, her name is Sarah Lenzi. So after working uh, in sound design, she discovered data and the possibility to transform data into sound somehow. And that's, so we're working on that, but actually that it's, it's still a, a, a very uh, preliminary uh, area. So that there are some studies, some research, but you are trying in a way to build this using design as a framework to help building this area. But it's been mostly about uh, art on one side and analysis on the other, like, you know, the two extremes were in a way still populated by sound. So you could have um, some kind of artistic performances based on sound and data. But it's not clear how to put really mm. the sonification at the service of a very specific purpose with very specific audience. You, you touch upon a really interesting point that also in, um, in data visualization, as you mentioned, there's there's uh, the analytical um, side to it or the technical side to it, as well as the artistic or the poetic side to it. Um, if I look back into my own, uh, the way I encountered the, the field many years ago, um, uh, some of the names that popped up at the time was, of course, the work that Tufti did uh, before. And then you had Richard Sol Wurman, who introduced quite a lot of people to the whole information architecture um, uh, field. Um, and then you had people like Casey Rees and Benjamin Fry at, at MIT under John Maida at the time, um, who started mixing actually also, or who continued to mix the art and the science or the technology behind it. How important is the artistic to the scientific and vice versa in this respect? It's, I mean, that's that's what why design, I think, is there. It's because it's one of the disciplines that is more um, capable of combining these two uh, approaches. And uh, so playing with the... The, 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 the aesthetics and the rhetoric and the ethics in a way of art and combining this with the, uh, the, the science that you need to work with data um, properly. So I think the, the, the fact that design found a position is I think it's like a proof that uh, is important to mix, to be able to mix these two uh, cultures in a way. So if there was it's it's like an indirect proof. I mean, it's if if you are here talking about that as designers, it's essentially because uh, of that need. So I cannot explain that uh, more theoretically, but I think just by experience, by practice, and just by looking at um, how design is became is is becoming became important, 
and visible and um, the demand of, of people doing design in that field is huge. And so that's for me, it's just an evidence of that need without mm-hmm. the need of going into theory. I mean, it's uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. we are the ones that are able to do that because we, you know, by training, we have this combination of humanistic um, and artistic sometimes approaches to with um, uh, technology science. And so I, and that's why we are, we, we are asked to, to work in this area because we, we can manage, I think, that combination that you was mentioning. Uh, and mediate between the different disciplines yeah. as well. Huh? Um, which brings me actually to something that you've mentioned earlier. You said uh, you related it to architecture, but to design as well. Um, it's where you, you, you need a lot of the, as you're dealing with some really wicked problems, you, you have to bring in different disciplines in order to make sense of it in the most uh, literal way almost. Um, are there disciplines that you feel are not involved enough at the moment, whether it's in uh, the academic development of the theory and the, but also in the terms of the practice of your field? Um, I was thinking, for example, of, um, as you mentioned, the whole visual history uh, that we carry with us and we're not even aware of it anymore until an anthropologist runs into a tribe that doesn't know a straight line in its visual vocabulary. And then it's boom. But they have developed their whole view of the world and and, uh, the way of, of interacting with it on a different basis, which might be just as valuable or could even bring in something new to uh, to our dimension. Our fields like anthropology or or the, the cultural dimensions, are these fields that you feel are enough present in the way that the field is developing now? Or is it... Um... Well, I mean, you're right. You touched, I think, uh, the uh, one of the most interesting um, evolutions of the field. So I never saw so much attention to history of, of, of visualization and, and, and even history of data representations that were not taken into consideration that much uh, you know, years ago. And now there is a lot of attention, a lot of writings around um, you know, the past. And, and because it's essentially, you know, we, we've been in a way designing data and with data since long time, but nobody was looking at that uh, a few years ago because we were all into this technological drift and all driven, everything was driven by essentially technology. And so nobody took the time to go back. Yeah, you, you, of course you had uh, in every book that is a kind of a section, but now it's becoming more, much more broader and deeper, you know, the investigation of, of the past. And uh, and so I see a number of, of, of you know, key figures in, in the in the area of data visualization becoming passionate about, you know, these old books about that you have, you know, since a couple of centuries ago, you know, I have pieces where you could find uh, interesting ways of representing data. And I that's something that is happening. So it's 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 true. I mean it was a kind of a lack, a gap in in, in this um, in a way looking at the history, looking at the uh, also on like uh, the culture of representing data because it was strong even in you know years ago it's not new definitely something that uh, has a very long history very dense history saying that it's really possible that you find you know someone that had a similar problem in in the past i mean if you look at uh, what for example the statistical offices in in France were producing in the 19th century, you you find pages of these statistical atlases that are just amazing. So, I mean, there are plenty of, there's plenty of knowledge that you could really um, delve into before, you know, producing your own idea. As a a teacher uh, teaching the the next generations, uh, Paolo, there's a lot of emphasis lately about uh, skills such as critical thinking, being better equipped to deal with complexity, uh, different way of problem solving, the so-called 21st century skills, as, as if they weren't be- important before, but that's, that's another discussion. Uh, how data literate will society, being both the experts that you're training as well as the general public, need to be in the future, according to you? 
or are there other skills or attitudes that, that, that are required and that we're perhaps lacking in education today or uh, failing to teach? Uh, yeah, on a certain point, someone proposed uh, to bring statistics on the kind of, you know, primary level of education. Um, I'm not sure it's that's the answer, but certainly, uh, you know, talking more about uh, what data is and how data is shaping, you know, our experience and our life, I think it, it's important in, in general. And also having some kind of technical, very basic technical skills to to manage that. But I think it's it's mostly about the nature of, of data, I think that is important because uh, that's really kind of a misconception that is is still pretty much present. Could you unpack that concept for us, the, the nature of data? Well, it's I think it's one of the major problems nowadays and that create a number, a huge no space for misunderstandings and, and possible um, so yeah, basically we are, um, for, for a long time, we just relied on the idea that data is given. So it's, it's something that it's there and it's like maybe probably thinking to the literal sense of data. So it's from datum, so it's, it's given, but it's not given. So, and, but for most people, I mean, it's just, it's the truth. So it's, it's, it's objective. It looks objective pretty much because it's, it's based on scientific languages, something that you learn from, you know, school. Like, and so it's math, it's geometry. It's, so that's something that really looks true and it's perceived as true. And it's perceived as not, there's no question. It's there. It's, but that's not true. I mean, and something that is a, uh, becoming more and more evident, but it's not diffuse enough. I think this idea of, of, of data as a construction, you know, is a construction is built by human beings uh, for certain reasons, for in certain moment with a certain purpose, uh, with a certain framing. I mean, it's, it's clear that it, data is framed and, but nobody sees that frame. So it's kind of invisible. And that's maybe another interesting area for visualization. So making that frame, not just the picture, but the frame also visible. And uh, so you don't see it. And so that that brings to uh, a number of incredible <laughs> issues um, and, and misunderstandings, meaning that you really don't understand what is the, the problem, what is the point, what is the issue in, in what you see. And um, so that's one of the things, I, I, I don't know how, but we should work on that in terms of literacy. So literacy doesn't mean only providing the tools, the basic statistical uh, functions to, to, to play with data. Of course, that's important because if I'm a government and I say to you that I made that decision because of that data, so you should be able to question those data. Also knowing that it's not the truth, it's just, you know, the... There is this very interesting definition of, of what a visualization is that I got in a, in a book uh, wrote by um, a, a mechanical engineer that <laughs> graduated at Harvard. And it is a book, for, uh, I think the first edition was in 1914, so the beginning of the 20th century, and is, is a book about gra the graphical representation of data. And Brinton, that's the name of the, uh, of the author, um, it refers to visualization data representations as visual impressions. And he was talking about you know, in that book, uh, the need of being optimistic, you know, when you represent data that, are, um, that wants to convey the behavior of a stock in the market to a stockholder. So, I mean, he said, I mean, it's a stockholder. We have to be optimistic towards the future. Anyone him to invest or her to invest, and so you have to present the data in a way that looks optimistic. Now, it, it was a mechanical engineer. He graduated at Harvard. It's you know, probably a serious person, and was and he said, I mean, that's just a visual impression. So let's play with that in a way that it's you know fulfill the purpose. Then the point is, you know, is that purpose evident? 
And so that's, I think, something that we also should learn. Is it ethical? Huh? I mean, ethical. You, I mean, you, it's, could, you could read the same thing in, in what was it called that book again? How to lie with statistics. I mean, yeah, but it's it's inevitable. So that's why I'm really, um, you know, easy with that. So I, there is no not nothing like uh, the truth. I mean, it, there is no visualization that is true in a way. So it's if you think when you do a a trend line. I mean, you are using two axes, and those axes have no, there's no standard. I mean, you can make those axes you know, as long, as large as you want, uh, but it changes a lot the perception of that phenomenon. But it, it's a choice. So it's, and, and it, there is no standard, no, of course, you have to be plausible. You have to be, it says, but that's part of the responsibility of creating a chart. And it's, but it's not. You know, it's it, even if you don't want, you're orienting in a way the perception. So the problem is that maybe making that inevitable decision evident. So that's maybe the point. So, but I think that that uh, that contextualized view of not just the data, but also the way that your representation, your impression of the data is gonna is gonna be used or might be used. Um, I think those are the kind of questions that a lot of people, uh, especially in these days with a growing discomfort of what's happening in, in, in tech at the moment, um, without asking those questions is actually, um, it's what makes people feel uncomfortable. And so uh, there's, there's a lot of talk about, it's a growing discourse about tech developers, for example, not being not asking critical enough questions about the use and the misuse of their technologies. Um, and in a way, this is a technology as well. It is. So there's a lot of worry also about the mass customization of manipulation, as they call it, or uh, AI's algorithms being based on um, uh, training data that replicates our human biases or of a certain era. Um, so there seems to be this, this, this underlying belief also in, in your line of work that as you mentioned, uh, sites precedes insight precedes action. Um, so a better view on things is likely to improve the outcome of our actions. But obviously that's, that's too limited a view. Uh, so uh, are there ways in which you've seen um, the technology or the, or the field being used in a way that you say, whoa, this is, this is tricky business. This is the um, slippery ice if we move further onto this? Where can it go wrong in your perception? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, with, with data, I think um, it's, we, we are moving, you know, we are now uh, slipping constantly on, in, a, in a very icy uh, ground. Uh, and, and, and the data that we had, uh, we, ha we, are ha we have actually in front of us in these days about, you know, the pandemics, for example, are very, it, it's a clear demonstration of how slippery is that uh, territory. So I think we never had, a, I mean, I, I don't remember a moment where we had so many data and charts in front of us in the main newspapers and to a very broad, uh, you know, available and, and accessible in a way to a very broad audience and people wanting to, to access those data and to read those data. But at the same time, they brought on the surface really uh, all the problems, all the possible, uh, you know, issues that we may have with data. And um, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about algorithms on this very sophisticated no. steel. Um, but even at the most basic levels, I mean, if you look at politicians stumb stumbling over the statistical information, even at the most, you know, simple versions of it's so clear that. Um, it's, we, we are really on, 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 on the border. So we have to, to, I think we have to make a decision on how really we wanted to present those data to people in a way that um, they don't, because you know, these days we saw how this could really easily lead to um, bad actions or actions that harm you know, people in society. And just because you wasn't able to convey all the context or uh, of the data they were was presenting. So I think it's, is is now is is really evident now we see the eyes we see the how slippery this could be and we are on that now so i really hope and that's something i'm trying to work a little bit now to 
to to to motivate people to to do something for that. So it's it's so evident. I mean, <laughs> we we cannot go on with this charts that you know comes also from you know, governments and 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 the main newspapers that or the 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 news on the TV news they also some channels that produced um very very bad charts and and but they are so simple and looks true and people believe that and they act accordingly but it's not it's very distant from <laughs> the representation of the phenomenon you're reacting to and so well there's 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 one way that i um started thinking about it as i watched this in the same distress i would say what you what you witnessed is that um in an accelerating society, it seems that people are looking for shortcuts through the complexity and they take the resort to, to these kind of tools and others. So um, in a way, that there is this need to, to enhance ourselves as, as human beings, as society, to make sense of ever more and more, more complex signals and data uh, just to be able to function, uh, to make better, more informed decisions, to steer ourselves towards a better future. So technology, like always, becomes this way of enhancing ourselves, of ex the extension of man, as McLuhan would say, um, a shortcut to these, these capabilities. But on the other hand, in order to steer in the right direction, we need more respect for the complexity, more slow, more deep thinking. Um, what would the data or information visualization for slow or deep thinking look like? I don't know what is, I don't have an answer to that, honestly. So what I, but I'm kind of optimistic in a way that um, the data we have now and the technology, in a way it's, it's, it's mature, it's ready. I mean, it's pushing us uh, looking at those problems much much more than in the past. So I really think that you know the the era of big data and algorithms is is there to to show us how limited uh, it was uh, the the way we were representing uh, uh, the data itself. I mean, it's as you said. I mean, we need shortcuts. We need models. We need uh, simplification. Um, but I, I think now it's evident that it's too simple in <laughs> what we are looking at. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so all the struggle that I see in companies and organizations that are trying to, as they say, to create value out of data is because they don't have the right models, the right shortcuts. The shortcuts is too short and it's uh, too direct. And uh, so when it's, it's, it's like a paradox. I mean, if you think to the investments and the advancements that we have in data technologies and all this also in terms of knowledge. And then you see, you know, how those data are then presented and, and, and managed, you know, when it comes to make decisions, because of course the, the experts, they know all the issues and all the problems. And, but then you have to put this data in the hands of decision makers and policy makers. And, and that's where the shortcut it, you know, it's it's a problem. So, and because that's this crisis of of the of, of the shortcut is, is is started with these exactly with this idea of complexity to go back where we started, but we are still digesting that. And especially in certain areas, it's not at all. Uh, you know, something that we, it's 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 even not there. I mean, it's if you look at some of the dashboards or the scorecards or how do you call it that we that people use this you know very high level to make decisions and, you know that's that's not possible i mean it's it's not that's not a representation that give any justice to the complexity of the phenomenon behind and so i'm optimistic on one side and that you know it's that we have now we are working we have we, the, the ground in a way, it's it's there, it's ready, it's boiling. But then on the surface, I mean, we we need an interface, you know, broadly speaking, that is capable to uh, to to create a meaningful and effective link uh, with this ground. Yeah, I sometimes feel like the the underlying strategy of of the shortcut or of the 
speeding things up um, is, is the one that ought to be challenged through the technologies. For example, if you look at, uh, also in, in the arts, uh, there, there's a whole history of artworks that actually slow you down. They, they require you to take a step back to see the bigger picture. They require you to follow a narrative line. They're, as soon as you go for the shortcut, you're thrown out of the experience and you feel the frustration. And I sometimes feel like this is maybe what we're looking for in, in these kind of technologies, like that they force us somehow, that they protect us from ourselves in wanting to go ever faster and ever more superficially. Well, that's a totally very interesting um, discussion. I mean, it's it's could be long, but it's this idea of slowing down. It's becoming um, a discussion also in the design field. This idea of, of creating frictions on purpose, you know, to <laughs> to slow down. And I think that's that's certainly also something that's really interesting for for data to create. But that's the problem is that you have to have an answer. So when people say, okay, he's a CEO, he doesn't have time. I say he because he usually is a man, but you know, it doesn't have time. So <laughs> um so what is the answer? I mean Okay, so let's reduce uh, the complexity of what I think I'm showing. Or maybe, I mean, the, maybe the problem is that we we are not we weren't able, or will not be able so far to create uh, the right experience. There was, you know, because if you don't provide value, of course, you know, people would not give you attention and will say, okay, what's the point? I'm wasting my time. So, but if, you, if we should design in a way an interface that is able to get you know your attention and to but in a kind of a constant dialogue you know i it's you should provide something otherwise all these people are rushed by time and you know of course it's part of the game <laughs> they will find an excuse not to look at your visualization and so that's a really really tricky trade-off so it's something that we experience for example also with the uh, we worked for a certain number of months for, we created a format for, uh, with a research lab in Milano with the Corriere La Sera for, you know, representing complex phenomena with data to people. And, you know, it was a constant trade-off, you know, and sometimes we failed. It was too complex, you know, and people, um, but it's, we really tried to, to have both, you know, to represent the complexity of the cultural phenomenon and to make people reading <clears throat> and um, my well my answer sometimes was you know it's a weekly supplement you have a week but it's of course it's not true <laughs> nobody will spend a week on a chart and uh, not if if it needs a week it's probably too much or maybe you just play with layers so you get something mm -hmm. you know you create a hierarchy even if it's a paper and then you, you get something quickly that's something that motivates you. Oh, it's interesting. So let's go deeper. So you have to, but you have to design that movement in a static page. That's all, of course, not easy. But so that's, you know, I think that that is, um, it's slowing down in a way. So avoiding this quick jump into, you know, very simple conclusions. But in this slowing down, you have, it's not just slowing. So there should be more than, you know, you have to feed something. Well, I think what makes it what makes it very timely is that you see research coming out of of neuroscience that actually um, underpins the need for lowering the speed in order to be able to think uh, at a deeper level. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's not just some esoterical kind of approach to oh, we should all slow down and and and, and chill a little bit. Well, yes, I just finished uh, a book that I was trying to read. Uh, well, that that's you know one of the positive aspects of the pandemic. It is mm -hmm. uh, is a story of the relationship between um, Daniel Kahneman and uh, Amos Tversky uh, that led eventually uh, Thaler to you know the behavioral economy and all these things. And and that's you know this this is something that um, has been and now it's becoming part. You no, know, it's since years. It's mm -hmm. part of the conversation also in data visualization so these cognitive biases and all this uh, so the, the 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 relationship with psychology cognition and that's 
that's really important. But I think there is still space for using that knowledge in a better way, especially to create this, yeah, this kind of different relationship with data. Actually, yeah, I just would like to mention an exercise that I uh, I created uh, years ago in a way with that purpose. I mean, because what we I realized, and that's something that could be interesting in terms of education, I mean, students, <clears throat> but it, it happened also when we work with uh, humanists or sociologists. I mean, they everyone gets really fascinated about data technologies because as soon as you have a data set and you discover how powerful are these tools and the technology that you have, you know, openly available and you become really kind of addicted and you start playing with these technologies and then, but then you forget sometimes that you are a designer, that you are a humanist, that you are a sociologist and then and just you become pretty much like a data analyst. And of course, that's not beneficial. So I created this format that is called Info Poetry and was an exercise that then I, uh, I elaborated together with a colleague in, in Politecnico de Milano that works on semiotics, um, Salvatore Zingale. And let's forget for a, for a moment this efficiency we are searching for. So this idea of quickly coming with an answer. And so let's uh, think about the phenomenon behind the data and let's try to evoke you know that through learning something from poetry that is probably the most emotional uh, branch of literature that that we have so it's the emotional language for literature maybe we can recreate this emotional tie with the phenomenon through learning from poetry and but keeping in any case the informative purpose so informing by creating an emotional relationship with data and it was a very very interesting exercise so there is on the web hundreds of examples on how you can really convey information but in a way that makes evident you know what is the issue what is the the meaning what is the why and not just and of course it's becomes evident also the objectivity the subjectivity sorry of what it produce but you know isn't maybe a very clear intentional subjective representation sometimes better than an apparently <laughs> truthful and scientific visualization that has been manipulated in features that you don't see at all. So maybe an honest subjective opinion, <laughs> sometimes uh, it's better than an apparent um, truth that is maybe not like that, and, but you never know because you are not able to open the, the back black box of this scientific language that we are still using. So, okay, just an example on how that's, you know, I think um, where we are now. So trying to cope actually with the complexity of the phenomenon that is behind the data. You mentioned the, the perception of data as something something given, uh, Paola, earlier on in our conversation. Um, so one thing that we run into quite, quite often these days, uh, working with organizations uh, from our studio, from Pansopicon, is that um, when we bring up the potential and the challenges of data, big and small, uh, AI, any of these things, there's one phrase that always pops up at some point in the conversation, and it's when the organization says, well, you know, we have so much data, but we're not doing anything, or at least we have the impression we're not doing enough with it. Obviously, there, there are issues of data hygiene or the preparation for it to be usable, all these kind of uh, things that need to uh, need to be processed, but... But where do people start? What are the questions that they ought to be asking themselves as they embark upon this journey to, to lift themselves out of the data swamps, as, as, as one might say? Um, where should they start according to you? How do you make, how do you turn data into gold, basically? <laughs> uh, well, the, I don't like uh, the metaphor of gold for data, but that's something else. <laughs> it always leads to problems. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's, that's something I, I've been pushing a lot all the time. So to involve someone in in the discussion around data since the beginning, and that's this has been a problem for uh, for for me, for us, you know, for a long time, not being able to start in conversation when the question was still you know under construction. So some you know often more often than not, you are asked to. 
to make a point. Yeah, to shape data or to become part of the chain in a kind of a late, later stage when, in a way, data are, have been already shaped or construct organized in a way that inevitably, you know, some questions are not possible <laughs> anymore or so, some um, or some other answers have been embedded, you know, maybe unconsciously into the organization of data. So what I think is essential is to force people to go back and back as much as possible at the origin. And, and um, so I'm really happy when we are asked to intervene on, on, on a very early stage. So when people, for example, even didn't start collecting data, so they have a problem or they just wanted to start. And so I've been lucky enough to have people asking for, you know, should we start collecting those data? Do you think humans will lead to somewhere? And um, that's, that's, I think, a very good way to, to approach the problem. So why are we doing that? And, um, and sometimes, you know, it's not a technical question. It's a cultural question. It's a, it's a design question. So, and um, I remember uh, I read an interview to the former um, CEO of Vodafone somewhere. I think it was in a Google magazine. And years ago, if I think it was 2013, I remember well. I mean, it was asking, you know, why should I record that data? So. What is the point? I mean, it costs money. It's um, so if you give me a reason to do that, but it, not technically. I mean, what what need are this could serve? What experience can I open for? And that's essentially something that you can you can start designing scenarios or designing, you know, speculative design for the future and think about mm-hmm. what could be. And we did an exercise, similar exercise with another mobile phone company that just gave us data and uh, okay, so. Think about 10 possible directions to transform those data, maybe combining those data with others outside the boundaries of a company and and uh, yeah, say what what's what could we build with that? But thinking about the customer experience, so the, the user, not and the society, not the data itself. So that's I think a very good way to to frame the the questions around data. So it's not, uh, you know, what we do with it is not what we do with data, it's what we do for the, the user and the society in general. And then, as I said, I didn't start thinking to data. That's, I never think to data as a, as a, as so what I do with data, what I do for someone, for the society, and then how data could be useful for that. Or maybe they cannot. And so I don't collect those data because it's a cost. So, but you have to have in mind, and so that's why I think also going a little bit uh, higher level beyond, because data visualization sometimes you 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 tend to focus on the problem of visualizing data that it's just a component in a much broader experience, and so that's why I mm-hmm. think it's also dealing with design in a kind of a broader sense. I mean, it's beneficial also for helping organizations to frame. Um, mm-hmm. questions in, in terms of time, especially, you know, a little early and uh, thinking to that as a, you know, in relationship with uh, with the, the, the user and, and society and not, you know, as a problem, technical problem of exploiting data. Since, since you brought up the, uh, the, the wonderful word speculation, um, Paolo, uh, what if I would ask you to, to speculate about a future usage of um, uh, of the things you're looking into in whatever corner of life you can come up with, um, what would it what would it look like? Uh, what is something that you would say like it would be? It would be perhaps a dream, perhaps a nightmare. I leave that up to you. If if that would be something that in the in the near or far future we would see around ourselves. Well, I, I mean, there are plenty of of uh, dark scenarios around data and. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, we have that. I mean, people, I think, are very good on that and creating um, dystopian scenarios around data. And uh, yeah, I mean, there are, some of them are really scaring and plausible. So <laughs> you know, some some of my students uh, said me in the past, I'm, I'm too naive, you know? <laughs> I call it optimism. So I try to 
<laughs> to think to the positive side. And of course, I mean, I, I don't want to forget all these uh, possible issues and problems, but I'm, I'm thinking more good on thinking in terms of, you know, what could be positive in that. And I don't have the right mindset, I would say, to think about the, uh, the negative um, side of that. So what is, what is a utopia you would like to share with uh, listeners? Something I'm constantly thinking of is how it's, it's something that relates to the idea of literacy that you was thinking about. So that's, I think, I have the impression that we can do something, but on, unfortunately, it leads to uh, political decisions. And unfortunately, because it's rare to find uh, a political actor that is able to, to take those kind of decisions. But I, I, I have the idea that we will find a way to to engage uh, broadly, you know, the, the the people, the citizens, I mean, on, on with data and to make data something more uh, <clears throat> more more familiar, more understandable, more part of our decision processes. And um, <clears throat> this this has to pass through the creation, I think, of spaces, occasions, and moments that we totally don't have. So, because you can have the tools, I mean, we developed an open tool to create, and that's something that is useful, of course, but if you don't create the occasions, the moment, the, the experience to, uh, to to make really people using, confronting people with data in a, in, in a constructive way that really will not happen. I mean, it's and it, it's kind of passed, you know, through school, through uh, civic engagement, through how do you govern a, a, a city or um, so that's. But I think this this will happen because it comes with the uh, you know now all these movements that are asking for you know transparency, asking for you know, and they are looking at data essentially. So. You know, they publish, you know, the salary of the cops in the United States. They publish the number of killings of certain, and so they, they use data, kind of, you know, as a as, as a way to create a dialogue. So it's just I think it's 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 now mediated by activists, uh, not, but I, I think as designers we'll, we hopefully will be able to create some spaces and experiences that broaden. The, the the capacity of discussing issues uh, in terms of society based on data. So, data labs. I don't know workshops or something that really creates the space and um, and the possibility for citizen for a for a much bigger um, uh, understanding of deeper understanding of of data and and also school. I mean it's. Um, I'm really happy when I see my kids, um, you know, dealing with charts, and but still, you know, some of them are badly designed, <laughs> even in school books. That's you know, this that makes me uh, a little less optimistic. But you know, still, it's it's there. I don't remember myself doing that much statistics in the past in the primary school. So when I see my kids, you know, in the middle school, to really do some kind of statistics and. Uh, and thinking about in terms of data and uh, so, but then they have to have a way to, to play with that beyond school because it's, it's otherwise we'll look at that as a kind of you know, part of the, the education. So that's, that's my utopia in a way. It's uh, my speculation is for a kind of a more public, uh, you know, presence of data and uh, maybe it's it, it's it's also maybe creating exhibitions creating more more occasions for thinking in terms of data so instead of having just you know sculptures and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and art uh maybe some data art could help in that case so just you know feed your yeah. you know your, your art with data and that could help in um creating maybe a better presence in, in the city. Beautiful. Thank you so much for uh, for your hopeful utopia, uh, <laughs> Paolo. Thank you so much for this conversation. I um, yeah, there, There's so many things that you touched upon that I, I can imagine. I hope people, uh, listeners, will, will take them uh, 
into their own line of work as well with the same uh, positive outlook that you have. Thank you so much, Paolo. Thank you, Nick. It was a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to yet another episode of Reflections. If you enjoy our podcast, we would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and rate us. And to continue the conversation, feel free to get in touch through Twitter at Pantopinik, P-A-N-T-O-P-I-N-I-K. And you can find Pantopicon, our foresight and design studio, making this podcast possible at Pantopicon, B-E, P-A-N-T-O-P-I-C-O-N, B-E.